Let's uh, stand up, Brandon. Brendan, I want to call him Brandon all the time, but it's Brendan. God bless you with finding the rock tonight. And there they all go. And how many more have you got, Brendan? Three more? Good. All right. Give them a hand as they go. That's a good, good group. All right. We're going to continue in Genesis tonight. We're, this is sobering stuff. This reminds me of Revelations in kind of a backward way because it is uh, about the approaching judgment, the coming catastrophe that is coming in the book of Genesis uh, just preceding the great flood. And the reason I'm teaching Genesis, I've shared with you over and over again, I want you to understand that the Bible you hold in your hand is the very Word of God. And it is not to be uh, something to be embarrassed about. If you say that you believe in the Bible, that you believe it's accurate, that you believe it's historically accurate, that Adam and Eve are not mythical figures, uh, there's, nothing, there's nothing stupid about that. What's really stupid, in my humble opinion, is if you go the way of evolution, it won't shake, it won't rattle, it won't roll, it, won't, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't hold up to logic, common sense, uh, any intellectual inspection of it minus uh, religion. It just doesn't hold up. To me, it makes perfect sense. God created everything you see. What we're talking about is the coming catastrophe of the great flood that covered the entire earth. And tonight, we're going to look at what preceded that flood. Next week, we're going to talk about the flood itself and how incredibly complete it was. And everything was wiped out. So let's pray together. Then you can be seated. Thank you, Lord, for your blessing on the word of the living God tonight. And we pray that you'll open our eyes, give us understanding. Lord, illuminate us and establish us in the security and the faithfulness of the Word of God. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Say with me, His Word is true. true. Amen. You can be seated. Let's, uh, Let's continue now. We saw last time that the growing independence of the Canaanite line. Now remember, you had two lineages that populated the earth. Cain, and we call them Cainites, not Canaanites. They come later, but Cainites, the descendants of Cain. And the Cainites were the wicked uh, descendants, the evil lineage that filled the earth. And then after Abel was murdered by brother Cain, Adam and Eve at first, and I'm kind of jumping ahead of myself, but they felt like they were childless because Cain had been driven away and Abel had been murdered. But they had another child, and that other child, and they had many more, but the next one was Seth. And we call that the Sethite line, the Sethite lineage. That's the righteous lineage. And so we're, that's what we're going to be looking at tonight. So when I read Cainite line, now you know what I'm talking about, the descendants of Cain. Came to a head. The descendants of Cain, before the flood, came to a head in a man named Lamech and his family. Now listen very carefully. We're going way back to the dawn of time. Way, way back to the beginning. Believe it or not, a new age was about to dawn um, in science, in art, in philosophy, and in religion through the Canaanite line. But at the same time, as you see all of these uh, advancements that were intellectual and and, uh, creative and industrial uh, in their nature, 
At the same time, you can also track man's moral and spiritual condition. Nose dived into catastrophe and judgment. The world of that day, in my opinion, and it's, it's very clear, uncannily mir mirrors our world today. What did Jesus say? As it was in the days of Noah, preceding the flood. So shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. So what we read about then has repeated itself. So the word of Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes is accurate when he says, there's nothing new under the sun. Life is cyclical. Life goes in circles. Life repeats itself. And here uh, we're going to look at way back at the dawn of time, and yet we're repeating the same things now. Now it was a time of great scientific technological advancement, while at the same time a growing defiance and hostility toward God and toward the godly grew. As Scripture says, they were always learning, but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. You can have all kinds of facts, but never know the truth. You can be encyclopedically brilliant and never know the truth. Never have a revelation about the reality of Jesus or of God. You can have a high IQ and be very stupid in spiritual things. Now, as the flood was headed their way, in the same way, the judgment of God is headed our way. There's no question about it. From the story of the first murder, the Cainite genealogy is tracked through six generations, ending with Lamech and his sons. From these sons, various aspects of civilization developed. And I found this very interesting. His three sons, let's look at them. The first son, Jabal, or Jabal, depending on if you're from East Texas or the city. <laughs> I'll just call him Jabal. Uh, introduced and pioneered breeding and raising livestock or cattle ranching. Are you ready for this? The first cowboy was Jabal. That's right. First rancher, first cowboy was Jabal. Now that doesn't sound like a Western male name, but oh well. Now, the second son was Jubal. And Jubal was a musician. His name means literally joyful sound. He was the father of all that handled the harp and the organ. Isn't that interesting? Look at the differences in these boys. One of them, a rancher type. And then you got the musician that comes along second. Stringed instruments and wind instruments were his idea. He created them. The world without God that these men occupied needed distraction, ways to drown out the thought of God. Hence, along came Mr. Joyful Sound, and his name was Jabal. Mr. Joyful Sound. And they were able to distract themselves with music. And can I just say tonight, I believe we do that today. I believe we do the same thing. We are, we, uh, I'll never forget when Paris Hilton was put in jail. I'm serious. When she was put in jail, I read about it. She completely and totally lost her mind. She panicked. She freaked. You know what she couldn't handle? Silence. You know why you can't handle silence? Because your conscience starts shouting if you haven't settled things with God. 
Silence is a crazy maker for somebody that's running from God. So you drown it out with music. You drown it out with activity. You drown out. And, 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 and that's, I really believe, was one of Mr. Joyful Sound's purposes back then. He gave a distraction. Now, Lamech's third son, Tubal, or Tubal, Tubal, was big in technology. He was an instructor of every worker in brass and iron. He invented metallurgy, the, the, the science of pulling metal out of the ground and smelting it and um, making things from metal. This was, what was his name again? Tubal. And actually Tubal, or Tubal, launched an industrial revolution of that day. He changed the world. This third son of Lamech. These three brothers dominated the godless line of Cain right before the flood. And that's why they are significant. They founded an age of discovery. And they were the innovators of prosperity, pleasure, and power. Now you look at that and you go, well, what in the world is wrong with that? Why would that, not, what, what's, why would that be wicked or evil? Wasn't this a good life? Didn't they make life better? Well, the Industrial Revolution for us made life better. But let me ask you a question. When the Industrial Revolution happened in our country, did it make us morally better, spiritually better? Let me tell you what it did. The Industrial Revolution in America increased the sense that we didn't need God. Now, I'm not saying it wasn't good what happened. I'm just telling you it increased the sense that we no longer needed God. You turn a dial, fire appeared. You, you know, flip a switch, light came on. Um, we had the steam engine, which birthed the Industrial Revolution, the, the steam engine and steamboats and, and the railroads and all of this. As all this came along, in America, man grew more and more to feel like we no longer really need that old-fashioned faith. It happened here. Didn't they make a good cont contribution to life and living? Yes and no. Because it was all life apart from God. Remember something. This was the lineage that had gone out from the presence of the Lord. That is such a frightening sentence to me. It says that Cain, the great granddaddy of these, these guys, went out from the presence of the Lord. And he said, I'll do it on my own. I'll do it without God. I don't need God. I don't want God. I don't care what a nation produces computer technology the industrial revolution medicine art science I don't care if that nation does it with the attitude we no longer need God that nation's gonna get judged someday and that nation's gonna spiral morally as we're about to see it will spiral morally if you say you don't need God now here's the truth about this time period it was a, a time period of moral disorder. While all this good stuff was going on in the natural, morally they were spiraling into a sewer. Lamech was the first man to introduce polygamy in marrying two wives, and it caught on. And polygamy became the order of the day. It happened through Lamech. He left and departed from God's order and said, this is what I'm going to do. I'm living apart from God now, so I'm going to do whatever I want to do. And his lifestyle became perverted. And it was an age of militant defiance. Not just moral disorder, but militant defiance. The, the genealogy of Cain ends with what is called the Song of the Sword, which was a boast by this man, Lamech, 
that he killed a man for wounding me. Somebody, somebody hurt his feelings. Somebody did something to Lamech. We don't know what it was, but somebody offended him. Somebody made him mad. And that was all that it took. He went and slaughtered whoever did it to him. And Lamech's act of murder was very different from Cain's because at least with Cain, you see remorse and you hear Cain saying, my punishment is more than I can bear. Not Lamech. Rather than mourn, he gloated in his song, the song of the sword, that he would be avenged 70 times 7. You hear what he's saying? And there's no doubt in my mind, this is why Jesus said, how many times do I forgive somebody, Lord? Simon Peter asked him. And Jesus said, not seven times. Seventy times seven. 490. In a day. I think Jesus was hearkening back to this when Lamech said, you know what, you offend me, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take 490-fold vengeance on you. There's no question that to me Jesus was reversing what he said. Because it was completely anti-Christ what he said. He said, you mess with me, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take vengeance 490 times greater than the offense. And that song, the song of the sword, was the first song of Scripture. What does it show? Here's man, industrial revolution, metallurgy, music, livestock, ranching, all of these things happening in the natural, but... On the inside of man, he's spiraling down, spiraling down, 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 down into the sewer where this generation was headed. His song was riddled with independence, power, and vengeance. But what does God say? Vengeance is mine. I got the corner on the vengeance market. You're not supposed to go take vengeance. I'll do it for you if you'll get out of the way and let me. Okay? So... Lamech was completely anti-God. He promised bitter vengeance on anybody that might hurt or attack him. And this had become the spirit of the age, folks, right before the flood. A rampage of evil had begun. And when Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, what was it like in the days of Noah? We were told the earth was filled with violence. So this is a, a sort of a, a good example of the violence and the, the rage and the anger and the vengeance that was taking hold of mankind. Now let's look at for a minute at the righteous line. That's the Cainite line. Now here comes the line of Seth. Having traced the line of Cain, Moses goes back in the book of Genesis uh, in the account of Adam and Eve, and who now felt that they were as good as childless. Adam and Eve said, well, Cain messed up, and he's driven away from the presence of the Lord. He's run away from the presence of God, and Abel is murdered. Now we're childless. And Eve counted on her next son, Seth, to be a replacement for the murdered Abel. Can you imagine? Maybe this one will comfort me. This one will comfort me. I lost my son through murder. I lost the other one because he was the murderer. Maybe Seth will comfort me. And you know what? Out of Seth came the righteous line. Seth had a son named Enosh, another Hebrew word meaning mankind. Interestingly, it says that in his days, on the Sethite line, men began to call on the name of the Lord. That was the Sethite line. None of the Canaanites did that, but the Sethites did. They began to call on the name of the Lord. I love that phrase. 
Because you know what I wish would happen to America? The last part of that verse, right there. I wish men would start calling on the name of the Lord. Oh, how desperately we need it. I, it's like you got Cainites out there and you got some Sethites out there. How many of you want to be a Sethite? Amen? And may your tribe increase. Now, again, this is really interesting Bible stuff to me. When a Sethite died in the book of Genesis, the Bible makes mention of it over and over again. The Bible will say, this one died, that one died. If it was in the Sethite line. All throughout Genesis 5, we hear the tolling of the bell over the death of the righteous line. Now, when you read this one died and that one died, what you're seeing is a confirmation of God's word. Because God said, if you eat of that tree, you're going to die. If you don't eat of that tree, you're not going to die. If you eat of that tree, death is coming upon mankind. So every time you hear it say, he died, that's a confirmation of the warning of God. If you eat of that tree, you're going to die. And it also shows the devil was a liar. Because he told Eve, you will not surely die. So the Bible shows us over and over again, yeah, they died. After Seth was born, think about this, Adam lived 800 years. Woo! And had other sons and daughters, I reckon. And then what does it say happened with him, with Adam? Say it. He, he died. You eat of it, you're going to die. They listened to the devil who lied to them. So when God says to you and me, you sin, if you go off and live in sin, you're going to experience spiritual death. You're going to be cut off from God. You're going to pay consequences. The devil says, no, 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 you'll get away with it. You'll get away with it. You're special. You're unique. But God says, no, no, no. You better listen to me and not the devil. He'll lie to you every time. I won't. Seth lived 912 years. What does it say? And then he died. Enosh lived 905 years, and then he died. See it over and over again? The Bible tells us about the Sethite line. Kenan lived 910 years, and then he died. And Jared lived 962 years, but finally he died. There's no escaping the Word of God. And then suddenly a break in the pattern occurs, and I love this. It happened with a guy named Enoch. It says, Enoch walked with God and he was no more. He did not die. Why? Because God was giving us a, a show and tell of what the rapture is going to be like. He said, because he walked with God, and God just said, you know what? You're walking with me so close. You've been so righteous before me. I'm taking you out of here, and you're not going to die. And Enoch was raptured. Now, I want you to notice that. So if the Bible tells us the truth, if you eat of that tree, you're going to die. If you don't eat of it, you'll live. They ate of it and they died. And the Bible is also showing us now here, if you walk with God and his righteousness covers your life, you will not. Now your body may die, but you will go straight into the presence of the Lord. That's why Jesus said, he that believes in me, he that believes in me shall never die. Now your body will but your spirit goes right straight into the presence of the Lord. What a powerful promise. Now, that's the first rapture or catching away of a righteous person in the Bible. Remember who's next? Elijah, caught up in the chariots of fire. So we got two Old Testament guys who are raptured. 
taken away and they did not die. Now, of the Cainites, this is really interesting to me, not once are we told of even one of them dying. Of the Sethites, the Bible says they lived as well as telling us they died. The Bible is, is real clear about it. It says they lived, blah, 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 and then they died. But not once are we told that a Cainite lived. You know why? Because they were dead in trespasses and sins. And when God looked at them, he didn't even see them as being alive. As a matter of fact, you know what? If you're not born again, Ephesians chapter 2 says you are dead in trespasses and sins. You're dead. Well, I'm not. I'm walking around, changing flat tires, going to work, coming home. Yeah, you're doing all of that, but on the inside, you're dead. And, and here in Genesis, God doesn't even ever say about one Canite they lived. Never says it. Why? Because as far as he was concerned, they were dead. Their social innovations, their scientific developments, and all their secular advancements only covered up the empty, hollow, meaningless sham of a godless life of rebellion. Wow. When you get saved and Jesus Christ covers your sins and the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you for the first time in your life, God looks at you and says, they live. Now let's look at the great apostasy. And so here you have these two lines, the Cainite and the Sethite. The righteous line of Seth, the godless line of Cain, went on for centuries, yet things were slowly coming to a head for God, as I believe they are right now. It would appear the final straws recorded in Genesis 6, beginning with verse 1. Let's read it. Genesis 6, 1, when man began to, began to increase in number on the earth and daughters were born to them. Now notice there was a population explosion. This word for increase in the Hebrew is explode. The, 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 the earth experienced an explosion in population. Sethite line, Canite line, they all exploded in population. And men began to increase. Along with this, there was a startling spiritual decay that took place and ended in shameless depravity and strong delusion. Now I want you to Buckle your seatbelts, and I'm going to share something with you here. And I've prayed a lot about this, and it's in the Word of God. Let's look at it. What was the great apostasy? What was it that was the final straw? It was the forbidden sexual liaison between women and fallen angelic beings. And to the rise of a hybrid race of giants called Nephilim. Nephilim, I'm sorry, Nephilim. Look what it says in chapter 6, verse 2. The sons of God saw that the daughters of men were beautiful and they married any of them they chose. Now remember that little phrase now, sons of God. The expression the sons of God is translated from the sons of Elohim. This expression is used only four times in other parts of the Bible. Only four times the sons of Elohim. Well where were they and what did they mean? It occurs three times in Job. Uh, there's a couple of the examples and I wrote them down for you so you can go look it up yourself where we read of the sons of God or the sons of Elohim presenting themselves before God. Satan was among them. You remember that? He said, if you, God said to Satan, if you consider my servant Job, and Satan said, yeah, 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 you take away what he owns and he'll curse you. That's why I don't ever want God bragging on me. 
I don't ever want him saying to Satan, if you consider my servant Jeff, leave me out of it when Satan comes into your presence. Because that's what got Job in all the trouble, God bragging on him. But remember, Satan came in among them. And who did he come in among? The sons of Elohim, the angels. Clearly, these sons of God are angels. The Bible reveals that a host of angels had already followed Lucifer in the initial rebellion against God. Now some of those fallen angels fell even lower. Now, I know what you're thinking. Pastor Jeff, you are weirding me out. Now listen carefully. There's two theories here, and I'll, and I'll tell you the second one, because I'm not saying it couldn't be. The other theory is that the sons of God was the righteous line of Seth. Because it was a righteous line, they were called sons of God. And when the righteous line of Seth began to marry and have sexual relations with the wicked line of Cain, then as a result of that, these giants were born and God actually said, that's all I can take. I'm going to wipe out the earth now. My only problem with that is twofold. One, righteous people marrying the unrighteous happens all the time. I mean, it's as old as creation itself. I mean, people marrying the wrong people, you know, the righteous hooking up with the wicked and, and realizing, you know, having, having, you know, buyer's remorse later and going, man, I made a big mistake, but still you did it. Now, here's the deal. Why would that bring such a judgment? Why would it? That's always been happening. That's not going to create. And why would that create these Nephilim that we're going to read about in just a moment, these giants, these, these, these epitomes of evil and wickedness? Why? No, something happened that was deeper than that. In open defiance of the limits set by God, they went after, that is, these sons of God, went after what Jude himself calls strange flesh. That is, flesh of another kind, or beings of another kind from them. The flesh and blood daughters of the sons of men. Now, as a result of this profound depravity, a perversion of the human race took place. Born to these godless unions was a race of giants called Nephilim. You can read about them in the Bible. Look what it says, quoting now, quote from Genesis, the Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterward when the sons of God went to the daughters of men and had children by them. They were the heroes of old. That just simply means they were extremely strong and they did exploits in their strength. But that does not mean that they were not consummately wicked. Men of renown, that is, they had a reputation. You knew when a Nephilim was in the neighborhood. This race of giants signify the height of wickedness, prodigies of evil, and an advanced form of demonism evident in the days prior to the flood. Now, like I say to people all the time, chew the meat and spit out the bones. You've got a mind and you've got a Bible. You go read it. Uh, there's good people on both sides. For me, this makes more sense. Uh, and many, many good people teach this. And many good people teach that it was the Sethite line. It just doesn't wash for me. It doesn't make sense. But since I'm the teacher tonight, I'm right. 
I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. All right. Now look what God did. God did as this evil, as this incredible, downright demonism was taking place in the pre-flood age. God looked down on mankind at this point and sums them up in one ghastly verse. The Lord, quote, the Lord, chapter 6, verse 5, the Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time, only evil. Not one righteous thought ever entered into the heart of a man or woman in this pre-flood age. They had so declined. Yeah, you had cattle ranchers. Yeah, you had scientists. Yes, you had musicians. But morally, they spiraled to the abyss. To where not one time did they ever, ever invade the atmosphere with a righteous thought. Think about that. And what did Jesus say? As it was in the days of Noah. Now look at the word imagination. I'm going to take it back there. Every imagination of the thoughts of his heart, look at the word imagination. Let's just pluck that out of the Hebrew language for a minute. Imagination. Here's the Hebrew. The word imagination comes from a Hebrew word relating to pottery. And it means to fashion as a potter. This is striking in that it suggests that men fashioned evil philosophies like a pot. In other words, they put effort into fashioning intentionally evil philosophies. They formed obscene artifacts. They eagerly espoused filthy causes. They popularized vile sins. And they shaped society according to their wickedness. Now I ask you, is that happening to us today? Oh, you better know it. As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. There you go, Matthew 24, verse 37. The words in red. Jesus said it. Jesus knew what had happened in the days of Noah because he was there as the pre-incarnate Christ. Now, what was God's response to this rampant wickedness? He said, that's it. I think of Popeye right here. I've had all I can stands. I can't stands no more. I'm sorry. I just, I know it's a somber moment, but every time I read this, I, the Lord was grieved that he had made man on the earth and his heart was filled with pain. So the Lord said, listen to this, I'm wiping mankind out. Whom I have created from the face of the earth, not just men, but animals and creatures that move along the ground and the birds of the air, for I am grieved that I have made them. Ladies and gentlemen, there comes a time when God says, that's it. That's it. It happens with individuals. He'll struggle and strive and prick your conscience and chase after you and come after you. But one day, he says, that's it. My spirit will no longer strive with you. And when that happens, you're turned over. Now, he said, where do you get that, Romans 1? Four times in Romans 1, when Paul is hearkening back to ancient civilizations, and I believe to the Greek civilization that preceded the Rome he was in, he said four times, God turned him over, 
God turned them over. God gave them up. God gave them up. And where did they go when he turned them over and gave them up? Where, what, what were they giving up to? Where did they go? Every single time they went into sexual perversion. Every single time. How do you know a society is under the judgment of God? It's turned over. Say, so, well, I thought earthquakes happened and fire came down and mountains shook and all that. No, no. God just says to a culture, you want me out of here? I'll get out. And he turns that culture over. And where do they go every time? They don't stay stagnant. They go down, just like this generation did. They go down. And what do they go down, in, go down into? They go down into sexual perversion. That's where it goes. Every time. Read Romans 1. So what did God do here? He said, that's it. All would have been lost at this point, but there was one man. His name was Noah. I want you to notice the mercy of God here. He's always got a remnant. He's always got a door of escape. He always makes a way for you to get out of the imminent judgment. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm telling you, and I don't mean to sound too heavy here tonight, God has had me in the, in the prophets for months and months now. I've read Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, stem to stern, all the minor prophets over and over again. I am totally convinced America is on the verge of judgment. I'm just convinced of it. You can't read the God of the Bible and how he dealt with cultures and civilizations and peoples and come away and look at America, which looks to me more and more. like Now, you say, well, is there no hope? Oh, there's always hope. Look, but Noah, he's always got a remnant. But I'll tell you where I believe he's looking right now. He's looking at his church saying, are you going to rise up and are you going to pray and are you going to get with it? I think it's so serious right now. I think that we are, I think that we are, it's that old Damocles sword hanging over the head of this country. America's, America, listen, if God would judge his own people, if he would wipe out the whole earth like we're about to read, you think he's got something special for the people in America? Uh-uh. It says, it says he shows no favoritism in judgment. That's what it says in the Bible. He shows, he's no respecter of persons. There is no one who he cuts any slack, any more slack than he does anyone else. There is no one who won't be judged if you walk in sin. Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Wow. Throughout history, God has always had his special man. A Moses, an Elijah, a Daniel. Before the great flood, he had Noah. Even though the world was caving in around him, Noah towered above it all. He was living in a totally perverted generation. He did not have what we have. He did not have the Word of God. He did not have the day of Pentecost. He did not have the Holy Ghost like we do. Yet this man rose above the perversion of his age and shined and preached all alone for 120 years with no repentance at all. Not one person turned because of his preaching, but he stayed with it. Wow. Where does that leave us with the Word of God, with the Holy Ghost, with the blood of Jesus? Uh, Noah, 
A man of faith, a man that feared God, a man of awesome obedience. That's what he was. Noah was a man energized by God. This divine energy manifested in three ways. Here they are. First, he was a forgiven man. He found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Grace in the Bible means unmerited favor. It's getting something we don't deserve. You know, somebody said to me once, why me? And I, maybe it was disrespectful, why not you? We all should be in hell. Thank God for amazing grace. Without it, we'd be in hell. Now, thank God we didn't get what we deserve. Noah found grace. Now, second, he was faithful. We are told he was a just man and perfect in his generations and that he walked with God, just like Enoch had. Noah had entered fully into the salvation of God and the standing before God only available to the justified soul. Now, Clearly, Noah had also received the power from God to live a godly life. Yeah, God graced him. It says he found grace. Grace, grace is the power to do what you ought. Grace gives you the power to do what you ought. He was perfect, without blemish, in a morally corrupt world filled with low-level demonism. And thirdly, Noah was fruitful. Though he only had three sons, it's from them that every man, woman, and child on the planet has descended since the flood. Shem, Ham, and Japheth. In chapter 6, 11, and 12, God is seen reviewing the earth. Ooh, the eyes of the Lord go to and fro throughout the whole earth, and he reviewed the earth. And here's what he said. Now God saw that the earth had become corrupt. And it was what, everybody? Read it with me. Filled with violence. God observed all this corruption in the world for everyone. Everyone was corrupt. Wow. Everywhere he looked, he saw open, flagrant public immorality and lawlessness. Vice and violence were the order of the day. Vice and violence. The worst of sins were flaunted, and not just flaunted, but applauded. The very same thing is happening in our culture today. Hello. Old moral standards and religious restraints have been cast aside, and anybody who cries out or even faintly criticizes these things is maligned, mocked, ridiculed, threatened, and condemned, called backward. Did you ever think you would see this in America? Those living in sexual perversion are not only applauded, but they are promoted to high public office. The mayor of one of our great cities recently proclaimed a gay pride week to honor that lifestyle. Our current president uh, declared a particular day, gay pride day. What? what? And you know what's spooky? There was hardly a ripple of protest with either one of them. What's happened to us? What's happened? It's decline, ladies and gentlemen. It's decline. It's the dumbing down of the morality and the ethics of this country. Everybody's up for a bribe. Everybody's got a price on their head. Everybody is for sale. Nobody is standing on principle. Nobody is saying, I don't care what happens to me. I'm standing on principle. I don't care if I lose my job. I'm standing on principle. I don't care if I'm maligned and ridiculed and condemned. I'm standing on principle. Where are they? Where are they? Where's the heroes? 
Where's the principle, the moral, the ethical? Who aren't for sale? John Phillips writes of these times, quote, corruption stalks everywhere with head lifted high. The sins that produce the flood have risen again in the world and are fast reaching toward heaven. No wonder God finally said to Noah in chapter 6, verse 13, the end. The movie's over. The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them all with the earth. And you know why he can do that? Because he's God. Now, do we want to see that? I don't want to see that at all because it's horrible. But God's going to do it. The word end comes from a Hebrew root meaning to cut off. He said, I'm going to cut them off. I'm going to cut all these people off. They're going to be cut right off. They're going to cease to be. God had reached the end of his patience, but he revealed the fact to Noah so that a way of escape might be provided for those who would take it. Even in his wrath, God remembers his mercy. Once God had his man, he revealed his plan. In order to prepare Noah for the flood, he gave two simple commands. We'll look at these and we'll end tonight. The first was to build an ark of sufficient size to hold himself, his family, which came to eight people total after 120 years of preaching. Eight people made it. One pair of every animal and plenty of food for all. And the Bible says Noah did it. He's the original Nike man. <laughs> God's command to build the ark included the announcement that he was about to destroy every creature that has the breath of life in it. Noah and his family would be saved through the ark because God was establishing his covenant with them. This covenant would be ratified with Noah and his descendants after the flood waters went down. And we'll see that next time. The second command given to Noah was to enter the ark with seven pairs of every clean animal. Now here, it wasn't just two of every kind, but he wanted seven pairs of every clean animal. Noah did it. Once again, why did God want that? This command shows how clearly God's message concerning the necessity of a blood sacrifice had been taught to the antediluvian age, the age and the people before the flood. Without blood, there's no remission of sin. So God made sure they had enough of the clean animals to offer sacrifices for their sin that they would be covered by blood. After the waters receded, Noah offered a burnt offering, chapter 8, verse 20, of clean animals to the Lord. Noah's ark and the basket that Moses was placed in as an infant, Moses and Noah, are identified by the same term in Hebrew. This reveals important parallels between Noah and the baby Moses. They're very simple. Take Moses going down the river in that little basket and Noah in the ark. Both arks were made of wood covered in tar. Both Moses and Noah were delivered from certain death by floating in the water. Because Moses and Noah were saved, both of them preserved an entire people. And as adults, they both received God's covenant. Now, Moses, the writer of Genesis, as we close, remember why he's writing Genesis? Clearly intended to tell his audience. Who was his audience? His audience were the folks that were about to cross the Jordan into the promised land. That was Moses' target audience. And why did he want to tell them about this? Because like Noah, he knew that he and they were beginning a new epic in God's redemptive history. That's it. Let's stand together, can we? <clears throat> Go ahead and give the Lord a hand of praise. That's good. Amen.
Now, we're going to do everything we can to be salt and light to this culture because this culture is going down. And yet, God can move for one day and reverse a hundred years of decay. And that's what we're believing God for. How many of you are believing that? All you Sethites, say amen. amen. All right, Father, we just thank you right now for this incredible uh, history lesson. And we see, Lord, all of these things happening in our day, and we pray you'll help Turning Point. And all of those who have been saved, washed in the blood, and made alive by the Spirit, that, Lord, you would help us to make a difference in this culture and see a move of God sweep this land again. We thank you for it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Give him a shout of praise, can you? Go ahead. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.